Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, the co-editor of Film Comment. This week, I'm on the ground in Berlin, Germany, where the 2024 Berlinale kicked off on February 15th. The festival runs through February 25th, and this year's lineup features new works by Mati Diop, Olivier Assayas, Bruno Dumont, Sai Ming Liang, Hong Sang-soo, Ruth Beckerman, and many other filmmakers. Throughout the week, the Film Comment crew will be reporting on each day's new premieres at the Berlinale through podcasts, dispatches, and interviews. So make sure to subscribe to the Film Comment Letter and the Film Comment Podcast to keep up with all our coverage of this year's Berlinale. It is my fifth podcast at this year's Berlinale, uh, and it is, I forget what which day it is that I have spent here at the festival, but the festival is drawing to a close. We're recording this on the Thursday, uh, the final Thursday of the festival. Uh, So we have three more days to go, which includes the closing ceremony and awards and all of that. So we've seen most of the things we'll see at this festival at this point. And to go through some of the last couple days' haul, as I like to call it, uh, I have with me... Uh, two guests, both of whom actually are based in Germany, and one of one of whom recently has moved to Berlin. Ella, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, um, Ella Bittencourt, critic, and yes, in Berlin about um, a month, two, on and off. Okay, yes. And well, welcome to Berlin, Ella. Um, <laughs> I'm Frederick Higa. I'm a film critic and programmer. Um, I founded the site Critic Day and founded Berlin Critics Week. And I'm about to retire with the end of this Berlinale to become a filmmaker. So the last words of wisdom as a critic um, are about to be spoken. <laughs> Frederick, you say that, but next year I'm going to rope you back in and you will not be able to You'll say try. no. <laughs> um, so... Last year when we had Frederick on the podcast, I I sort of made him do a German dispatch. I was like, you're you're a longtime German critic and you know this landscape very well. So could you talk a little bit about the German films at this year's Berlinale? Um, well, it ties in with my general impression of the festival that the German films selected to um, compete, um, to be shown in parallel sections all over the festival, um, which does show less German films as it does show less films in general this year, but also by um, not having the German um, newcomers um, section anymore. Perspective Deutsches Kino was cut. Um, so there are less films. And um, what my impression of the films shown is 
that as with the general festival, it's um, trying to show a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So it's not um, taking a stand for a particular uh, flavor of German cinema, but rather trying to have mainstream appeal with um, a historic film like Treasure by Julia von Heinz. It is an American film, but by a German director who's competed in Venice before um, and um, is with Lena Dunham and Stephen Fry in a a kind of comedy, drama, trauma, reconstruction of Holocaust survivors. Um, Very, very weird film in Berlinale Special. You have another mainstream um, historic movie in um, competition with Andreas Dresen's In Liebe Eure Hilde, In Love Your Hilde. which is like uh, trying to be very authentic about, you know, transcribing an experience of being in opposition towards um, uh, the Nazi regime from the left and from the um, from the communist side. Um, also a very, you know, retro kind of movie. So um, not very, not n- the contrary of avant-garde, I'd say, um, to be... Um, to be uh, euphemistic about it. Um, and Do you have to be euphemistic? <laughs> yeah, well, he's coming back as a filmmaker, yeah, so yeah, some true. kindness is required. <laughs> no, actually, um, I'm I'm doing I'm going all in. No, I I think this is really an affront to anyone who um, has thought about um, historic uh, of ways of telling his uh, history in cinema, especially today, because there's there needs to be a consciousness about the perspective you're taking and trying to recreate something where you build a kind of identification with these protagonists and how they are feeling is um, preposterous, I think, Mm. and also um, doesn't quite work. And even if you want to show these kinds of films in schools, you should expect more of the um, brain cells from teenagers. So um, I think this is really a frustrating experience on on many levels, even though it's a very ambivalent, nuanced film. Mm. So it's not like... um, it's not it's not so easy to dismiss on some levels because the characters are not the typical or heroic um, people you'd expect in this kind of movie. So it's not Sophie Schall um, and by Mark Rotemund is much smarter in the way the characters are um, portrayed, but it's still a big disappointment by Andreas Dresen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in general the the selection of the German movies are is very broad. So you you have very interesting movies like um, Evo by Eva Trubisch, who was in Locarno with um, Alles is good, everything's good. I guess the English title. All is good. All is good. Thanks. Um, and um, she has a very pers- very interesting perspective of um, showing a female character following her in a small movie in the means that it tries to be very close to its protagonist and it also is a film that is very aware of the surrounding of the architecture of where it's shot and has a beautiful way of recreating gender dynamics in Mm. a um, conscious way of what am I showing at what point and um, how close how close can I get to these to these characters um, I think that's one of the highlights from the German selection um, and you have in Panorama a very very weird film where a woman meets her husband and he's in three different forms one is it uh, sometimes he's a child sometimes he's a um, teenager and sometimes he's a he's an he's a grown man so so he is a man is what you're saying yeah, yeah. that's um, that's the idea <laughs> so it's a conceptual 
12 film that would fit into a short movie from from this idea because it doesn't go much further than that but it has an idea and I don't it know has if you said the title I'm sorry it's um alle die du bist all that you are okay or all the men you are something like that by Michael Fetternatansky so you can check that out in um, in panorama and there are more films um, i haven't seen like zeitverbrechen there are sh four four movies um, by very interesting directors like um, Jan Bonny and Helene Hegemann and Faras Shariat and um, uh, Mariko Mizoguchi which are showing um, just now today and tomorrow Right. And um, Evo, which I haven't seen, uh, I'm really excited to see because All is Good, I should just say, was a movie about a woman who experiences a sexual assault at the hands of, you know, a lover uh, and also a co-worker or colleague and is about her grappling with that experience in a professional, personal setting, but also in her body. And I just remember it being, you know, this was, it came out at a time where there were, I felt like a lot of films and media being made about this subject because Me Too had just, the Me Too movement had just come up and there was a lot of grappling with the, with the experience of assault. And this was one of, one of the, I think, one of the movies I saw in that time that really was able to capture the experience, the aftermath of, ex of having that sort of uh, thing happen to you without constraining or moralizing or flattening it uh and so i'm really hopeful and the way you described evo and the representation of gender and femininity in that you know definitely makes me eager to see it yeah it's absolutely a continuation of her previous work and i think it's even even more interesting in the way that the dynamics are shown and the relationships of the different uh, different characters are shown and it's really it's not only nuanced it's really about um experiencing um uh, in experiencing ambiguity as yeah, yeah. Uh, as life can be, um, yeah. so there's there's a lot to dive into. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, Ella, you saw some films that kind of fit this bill, uh, but in the retrospective, in the classic section. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good segue too. Um, I feel like um, every year at Berlin Alley, I come on the podcast to like give a shout out to a single woman. Yesterday was Claire Simon, and that <laughs> served me right. Or was it even last year? Or was it uh, was it last year? Or was it two years ago? I think it was last Claire year. Claire Simon right? was yeah, last year, last year yeah. right? Uh, and I'm very happy how you know our bodies um, have traveled. Uh, but this year, I thought I would do Alexander because yes, I have uh, followed the retrospective, but was mostly astounded by how much the Deutsche Kinematik um, and Berlinale continues digging and how many films indeed by women filmmakers are coming up. And I must say at least 10 women filmmakers this year. I was just absolutely astounded to never have heard of. I'm, I mean, I'm no scholar of German cinema, but nevertheless, I mean, those films are not so distant. We're talking about late 70s mm. to 2000. Um, and Elke Zander, um, she's, she's definitely not new to Berlinale, she's Berlin-based. Um, she uh, she was included in the retrospective for the special program in 2019, dedicated to women, to German women directors with all-around reduced personality. If I recall, it's a very intriguing wow. title and a very funny film from the 70s. And this year, um, she and and definitely in the group of women, I would say, you know, um, she was the one that yes, I had seen her films, but she was probably 
one of the very few. And so everything else is completely new to me and super exciting. And also these films, they really range from like melodrama to super experimental film made collectively to kind of genre bending films uh, to very political films. Alexander is certainly to me, I mean, to me, she's like an institution in German cinema, actually, that, you know, most foreign viewers probably don't know. And I don't even know how many German cinema goers know Elke Zandra that well. That's a question to you, I guess. Well, um, how many? I don't know. But, um, but she's, uh, of course, she's uh, one of the pioneers yeah, of, of, um, of, this, of exactly. this movement. And yeah. um, in the last years, they have gotten more attention even if yeah. if it's far from where we'd like to be and um, just to tie in with that uh, yesterday a study was published about gender equity actually and Germany isn't so bad yeah. The, yeah. Ho the hope is that in 17 years there could be equity compared to in 2200 and in, um, uh, in Canada oh, there and um, in UK maybe in 61 years it could be so um, so yeah. I would so. yeah I would, I would hope <laughs> I hope that Alexander certainly contributed to that. I mean, she was super involved in like second wave feminism and, and when women well, in the seventies. Sorry, I just but Frederick, do you mean like gender equity in society or in, in cinema? The workplace? In cinema. In cinema. Okay, because okay. I was confused. I was like, what does that even mean? Like, we'll have gender equity in society in cinema. Okay, okay. A fifty percent split of directors, I guess. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, w I, I would like to think that she and other women really, as you said, they were pioneers. And like when they were organizing the congresses and like conferences of, of women's film in the 70s, I mean, it, it was really done in the spirit of collectivi collectivity that very much drives her films. The, the Germans and Their Men was actually made in 1989. So this is the film that I'm going to talk about. And I absolutely love it because I think Alexander just manages to infuse so much humor Mm. into something that she's so passionate about. I mean, she just absolutely has an instinct of how to get her messages across but not be preachy mm. um, and how to always be on this kind of borderline. I mean, talking about hybrid cinema, like that's, we all know that hybrid cinema is cool like these days. But I mean, in the 70s, when all that stuff was fluid, there's just such brazenness and at the same time such casualness about it uh, that's really lovely to see in her films and so in the Germans and their men she has this Austrian actress Renee Felden mm -hmm. uh, who basically the main premise is that um, Renee um, travels to Germany to find herself a suitable partner so she's looking for a man very <laughs> ostensibly and has a very funny way of doing it because she's basically like a costing strangers um, you know in the airport talking to them about why they're wearing or not wearing ties under which conditions they would wear ties so it all start, starts kind of very chatty very frivolous but then progresses and gets more and more serious um, as she kind of like infiltrates herself into she travels to Bonn she infiltrates herself into like these various conferences and workplaces and talk to men and talks to men yes about their ties but very much increasingly about the inequality that she sees every step of the way and yeah, it's very, it's very interesting because I guess what she encounters at that point is just this complete wall of denial. I mean, there is no sense of accountability and there is there is almost a certain hopelessness at that point, mm. but very much also animated by this humor and, and increasingly confrontational, but in a funny way. So one of the facts, I mean, you mentioned in 
um, the German filmmaker who, you know, who confronted this, um, you know, a woman's story of rape. Mm. So one of the things that, uh, that Alexander, I mean, well, that Rene does in the film is consistently ask men, you know, how is it possible that, um, how do they explain the fact that 300,000 women mm. in the 70s per year are being raped in Germany? And do they realize that, like, compounded over X number of years, that's X million <sighs> Of huh. women, and uh, do they consider in that light being a man a political problem? Mm. <laughs> and there's just this complete wall of not understanding what that would mean. That you know, eventually she has Alexander appears herself at a very serious meeting when they have a discussion about this. Uh, she's discussing it with also very politicized German left, and even their men are just completely kind of blindsided by why would you implicate us? Why would you at, at, ask that question? It becomes very kind of pers personalized and always deflected. While she also manages to have this parallel narrative um, about, you know, white ties. Like, how come there are only polka-dotted ties in government? And it's all very silly, but at the <laughs> same time, since she's poking at conventions and to which, you know, at which point we see certain things and conventions and structures as just what they are, quote unquote. And at to which point, you know, we're actually able to look at them critically. I, mean, I think that's what she's getting at. And that's how she ties it all in. Mm. So, I mean, it, it, it played. I went to, um, I guess, Titania in German, we would say, right? Which is this lovely cineplex in the suburbs. It's right outside. I mean, it's like right beyond Schoenberg. And it was super lovely. I mean, I went to like an 11 and 1 p.m. screening. It was sold out. Yes, the medium age was like around 60. <laughs> but uh, but it was sold out. It was mm. great. And the audience was laughing. They were absolutely getting her humor. Yeah. And, and at the same time, I mean, her messages are super harsh and like very much land. Yeah. And I think that I would say that Germany has come a long way in cinema. But I think that there's also like growing equity also in the workplace in, in general. Um, so I don't know if the numbers are catching well, up or not. We're far from where we should be. What, but, uh, yeah. For sure. But... <laughs> Um, we'll get, I think, into this film a little more on a different podcast, but this is not a German film, so I'm sort of doing a detour. But another film here that deals with the subject of sexual assault and violation that, you know, has we've talked about a few films now is uh, A Family by Christine Angot, the author known for creating a lot of discussion and controversy around the term autofiction or the genre of autofiction. You know, many of her works are autofictional and she is maybe best known uh, for her novel, novel in quotes, uh, Incest, uh, written in the late 90s, which describes her... Uh, experience of being subjected to a sexual relationship by her father. So this kind of incestuous rape that she experienced over many periods in her younger life. And that book was presented as a novel, but was also clearly, you know, had elements of autobiography in it. And that theme has come up in a lot of her works uh, across, you know, her whole oeuvre. And I believe this is the first time she is kind of addressing that subject through cinema. It's very hard to really even talk about this film because it's such a specific experience, not just what she what she experienced, but 
addressing that through all of these mediated forms you know she that that has been like kind of what she has been doing over years trying to i think grasp at her feelings the complicated feelings that these experiences left with her through writing and and different kind of mediated forms and now documentary is sort of the latest in that and mo- the film is just her having conversations with many people in her life uh her father's second wife the uh who he was married to you know until the very end her mother her first husband and her daughter at the very end and just talking to them about their responses over the years to when she shared this information with them and uh how whether or not the ways in which some of them responded like his father's wife uh whether that counted as a kind of violence and on the contrary how her daughter responded was for her a reprieve you know her daughter said things that she felt she had needed to hear her whole, whole life so it's like extraordinarily direct there is this is not autofiction this is confessional autobiographical confrontational and confessional documentary i mean she barges into the home actually of her father's wife and then later has to you know grapple with the possible legal consequences of that because she just goes in with the camera person and is like no you're going to talk to me because you owe me this you owe me this for not engaging me with me on this subject in the way that i needed when i needed it and it's you know i think it feels like such a personal work that it's almost hard to talk about it as a work of cinema you know i think this was really her means of addressing something for herself and i'm sure many people will relate to it in various ways in the sense that she really puts on screen the complexity of emotions that experiences like these leave you with even years after which can also sometimes she comes across as very unlikable and stubborn and bitter you know like when she's barging into the home and but anyone who's been through that experience knows that it it leaves you can leave you very unstable and especially when it happens in these intimate settings it can leave you so unstable and wanting things that sometimes you shouldn't even want you know wanting restitutions in ways that are not possible so i found it very intense and moving in a sense i'm not sure that it works entirely as a piece of cinema i think it's it does get a little it's never dull per se because it's so intense but it's also monotonous and like i said it does feel more like a tool for her than necessarily something for an audience to ingest but i think again it's just very interesting as the latest element of her project which is grappling with the experience of sexual violence and incest through all these different ways and trying again to get at these um elusive results you know elusive uh closures through all these different means. So, I just wanted to mention that film uh because I think for some people it's a very notable uh, feature of this lineup. But let's uh let's talk about another film now. Mm, how to segue to the next one. Um well, I'm kind of riffing on 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 films by women and about women, so I guess it's my segue is very easy because um I did also like a lot um Anya and I hope I'm not butchering her name but this is Anya Salomonovits um and her film uh she's an Austrian director and her film in in the forum section Sleeping with a Tiger which is kind of like um 
what do you call it? It's just kind of like a, a dreamy, fun, but but also very serious biopic of um, of the uh, of Austrian artist Maria Lasnik, and and Forum decided also to show Lasnik's short films, and they're absolutely stunning. I mean, they're like these animated films, I think from the seventies to like late eighties or something. Um, and Maria Lasnik, I mean, I think um, she's an artist that that's now kind of more well-known. I mean, she was one of those uh, women artists who, you know, if you live to 90, then <laughs> then maybe eventually something hap will happen. Although that's a, a bit unfair because I think that she she gained a certain notoriety in, in Austria much earlier, but kind of internationally, you know, she was, she was in the Venice Biennial, you know, kind of like had a solo show much later in her life. And, and so definitely this is one of the, like these part of these histories of, of women artists that are being recovered. And clearly made by a filmmaker who's very serious about Lasnik, who adores her art. It is very much one of those biopics that, in a way, it's very expected that this is going to be about the loneliness of an artist and so much more compounded because of sex and gender. Um, you know, because here's an artist that's actually um, going to the art academy when um, Austria and Germany are still very much in, you know, what do you call that? Oh, under Nazism, let's just put it this way. Uh, so there are swastikas everywhere. There is this notion of degenerate art. She is a figurative artist. She's very expressionist at the beginning, and so very easy to kind of name her as degenerate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's this whole through line of like how Lasnik finds herself when she goes to the United States, and um, and again, kind of like misses her time again because there, she's there in like the 60s, and it's a time of abstract art, and he here she is bringing these very, these very um, honest, like very cruelly honest um, paintings of herself and bodies. Later in her life, she was known for um, just really painting middle age and painting flesh in middle age and, and all of the, the feelings that are associated with it, whether good or bad, with a certain almost like a Francis Bacon brutality. Um, so, yeah, it, it follows her life, but it manages to somehow convey her humor you know it manages to have these fantastical moments where it shows her little family in the village where she was and it's all like slightly grotesque and she switches sometimes between being an adult and a child um so anyway i just i just thought that the filmmaker really managed to keep us captured to conveying what was great about the artist but to also be irreverent and and that's precisely what lasnik was in her short films she was constantly poking fun of nationalism. Maybe actually Xander and um, and this film, Sleeping with a Tiger and Lasnig in general, also have this through line of like being very frank about, you know, extreme nationalism and this kind of nationalistic pride, which obviously today, you know, is again rearing its ugly head. So yeah, so they're very re refreshing films, I would say. Um, to speak more about what what it means to make a movie as a as a woman, um, the Critics Association just awarded with the Lifetime Achievement Award um, Jutta Brückner, which is another pioneer of German of German female cinema and feminism, and sh uh, and she said um, that. Um, 
uh, women need to be a hundred um, to achieve what men can achieve when they're 60. And um, uh, this relates to the idea that women are allowed to make films but not create a body of work um, because they're so often only allowed to make a movie very seldomly and not to de develop you know, their own perspective and their own way of making films. And I think that today we're seeing um, uh, filmmakers who are um, really creating already their own um, body of work very like early on. I would love on. to see a woman hong, you know? Or <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I think that um, maybe... Uh, <laughs> let's, just, let's just say let's just hope that Joanna Hogg will just keep on giving and so many other women but, right? more but often, there are women more often, yeah. well more often okay but I mean I feel like at least you know these days we we could talk about like a filmmaker like Catherine Breyer or Claire Denis or Claire Simon for example Claire Simon is not that widely known but if you mm. look into her body of work I mean it is it's, it is extensive so I just hope also this is kind of like a little you know, modest critics plea to Deutsche Kinematek, just keep digging, you know, just keep finding those copies and restoring those films because I think that's how we're going to find out that filmmakers like Elkazander or other filmmakers actually have bodies of work and you they know have and made they fantastic movies exactly, that need to be exhibited exactly much more. and okay mm. they're not going to be maybe in the dozens and dozens and they're not going to be as consolidated but they are bodies of work that need to be contextualized and spoken about no absolutely, absolutely. I didn't want to say the opposite it's just that they're oh, no, that know. they that they oh. didn't manage and weren't awarded the attention and the means that their that yeah. their that their male counterparts of the same years were. So these filmmakers that made such great films in the 70s and 80s, and um, they didn't disappear, but they were kind of put into the margins. And I hope that this doesn't happen with filmmakers like um, Nele Volas, who is here with um, Sleep with Your Eyes Open. It's also a German director, but it's a production from Brazil, Taiwan, Argentina, and Germany. And it's her second movie and her first. Um, was in Locarno. Um, the future perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and um, here she is with this um, very unique um, um, kind of culture clash. Um, but <laughs> this uh, sounds like a very different movie than this <laughs> is because it's um, about um, people being in other places than they um, come from. And it's a beautifully fragmentary way of being with these people, um, uh, being with Chinese people in, um, or Taiwanese people, um, being in Brazil and Argentina. And um, uh, part of it is in Recife. And um, it's really the, the architecture and the, yeah. the way of looking at um, um, experiencing otherness is just um, uh, and communication between between people from different cultures is just so rich and so original. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you said it also features you know scenes in Recife, and it's actually it is produced by Kleber Mendonça Filho, <laughs> who for you know many of us uh, that is. Recife on Cinema is his work. Uh, him, It's produced by him and his partner and wife, Emily Lescaut. And, you know, I have a, a great fondness for Nelly because The Future Perfect was, I think, one of the first interviews I ever did for Film Comment. It showed at New Directors New Films. And I remember having this great conversation with her about the film. And To Sleep With Your Eyes Open is very much like um, a companion piece, but 
one that escalates in every way. She clearly has a bigger budget and a better kind of uh, scope of production on this one. And she also goes deeper into the questions that the Future Perfect explored, which was about, uh, I believe, a woman, a young woman from China who was in Argentina and is doesn't know the language and sort of finds certain friends and takes language classes. And the the great thing about that film was that as this girl's linguistic capacity expands, so does the world around her. So it's very much about how our perception and understanding of the world is very much linked to language. Um, and I think this film, which, you know, Frederick already kind of described, but it is about this Taiwanese girl, or is it Chinese? I, I wasn't sure where exactly she's from in the film, but she ends up coming uh, going alone to a holiday in Brazil because I guess her partner just leaves her at the airport. So the first part of the film is her wandering around and, you know, trying to find things to do and talking to locals without really knowing the language very well, though she knows Spanish. And then she runs into a a Chinese shopkeeper in a little market. And that moment when she meets him and they both talk in, you know, in their uh, shared language. And then uh, he gives her like a free umbrella. It's a it's an umbrella shop. You know, every single time I've come to Berlin, I have some stray interaction with a Pakistani cab driver or someone who works at or, you know, an Indian man who works at uh, a donor kebab place. And it is really special to be somewhere else and to see and and. I always run into these, you know, these folks and they're delighted to have a few minutes of talking in the language we share, which is Hindi or Urdu. So that uh, scene in the film I found very touching. And then that actually opens up into another nested narrative in the film, which is about the background of this shop and the people who work here who are linked to a group of immigrants who work under this woman and it's not entirely ever clear but it's some kind of illicit slightly illicit smuggling type of business and uh they're all maybe indentured in some way or it's they don't have paper so yeah. they're definitely being exploited by the person they work for and i think what was really just striking to me about this film which it's not perfect i should say you know i think it's a bit long and um sometimes a little monotonous also in tone but it takes as the premise this again this linguistic chasm and how you connect to people or are separated from people on the basis of shared you know on the basis of language but it really uses that sense of displacement that you feel within language to open up into so much more including the economics of being an immigrant and it's also a kind of immigration you don't see that much in so-called immigrant cinema nowadays that which is always about people from the global south going to the west and this is a very different thread and world of migrants which is people moving between the global south and the little industries that are cropping up through those circuits and exchanges so the form is really free-floating and tra it, it translates this idea of displacement into the narrative which is not so concentrated but it's more about being someplace and not really belonging and you know it's a it's a weird um form of um narrative that's constructed and i think this being outside is translated into the experience of the movie yeah And I, I'll just say briefly that I feel like if, since we're talking about these films, I should mention the competition title Long Etranger or Foreign Tongue by Claire Berger, which is also kind of 
rooted in this premise. It's about uh, a German teenager and a French teenager who become uh, pen pals and exchange students. So uh, the, the French teenager first visits the German one whose mother is played by Nina Haas. And then the second half of the film, the German teenager visits uh, the, the French friend. And a lot of the film is about I think relationships between the two countries, not like not in a political sense, but culturally the perceptions Germans have of the French and the French have of the Germans, especially around the uh, traditions of resistance, you know, how the French resist the police and the state and how the Germans do that. But it's also, I mean, I found the film very disappointing because uh, unlike To Sleep With Your Eyes Open, where that question of foreignness and language is very much tied to everything else that happens in the film. It very much is part of the emotional landscape of the film, the uh, characters, you know, or like arcs, everything. Here, this feels a little bit like salad dressing to a kind of a film that is a little bit, I mean, it's, it's kind of a queer film that is a strong kind of queer relationship that emerges between these two girls over the course of the film but it's also just a film about being like a messy teenager and growing up with in dysfunctional families and how that shapes your relationship with the world and then this reference to radical politics and to linguistic estrangement just feels extremely surface level so that was a bit of a disappointment in competition but Maybe um, since we're wrapping up, maybe I'll just mention also um, in terms of like the linguistic exchange and the films that kind of have that through line. Um, I, I saw the documentary True Chronicles. I'm not going to read the whole title, but it's True Chronicles of the Bilda Joinville Psychiatric Hospital. And it's about when Franz Manon um, came to Algiers. It's by Abdenur Zaza. I hope I got the um, the name right. Um and yeah, I mean, it is it is how you know Fanon comes from France to Algeria and and encounters this very ossified psychiatric French imperialistic structure within the 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 hospital, and notes very forcefully that it it very much informs how the caretakers are treating or rather mistreating or segre or obviously segregating, but also kind of. Um, and in the end, not really treating the patients. And, and there's a super beautiful scene where he does bring it all back to language. I mean, the very first thing that he does is that in every wards where he goes, he convokes conversations. So the patients are no longer left to like stroll around in the gardens. They're coming to sit at a table and they're, they're very surprised to know that their stories are being heard, that there's a doctor who's listening. And there's this very beautiful moment where there's an Algerian woman who's... Um, uh, calls herself Cleopatra, and the very first thing that Fanon does is asks her her real name, and she gives her name as Juliet. And only later in the film, she gives her name again as Yamina, because that is actually her true name. And that there's this gorgeous. Even though I found the film as uh, for me, as you described the other film, this Fanon film also sat a little bit awkwardly between being a reenactment that is very conscious towards its procedures and kind of calls out the staging and is maybe a little bit more formal uh, and fiction. I mean, it felt a little bit undeserved in, in both approaches. Um, and so it came across as a little flat. Um, but at the same time, you know, as this 
I don't know, as bringing back this history uh, of Fanon in, in Algeria and somebody who obviously we mostly know through his critical writing as a figure um, that is very much, you know, empathically connected to the patients and bringing this story with his family also um, into the spotlight. I thought that that's worth mentioning. Well, I think we're at the end of our time. We all have to run different places. Any closing thoughts, Frederick? <laughs> You can, um, you can just say no. <laughs> <laughs> really no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, congrats on, I guess, your uh, final podcast as a critic uh, at the 2024 Berlinale. But thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. 